You're listening to Comedy Central. Does anyone celebrate weddings here? Yes. Yeah? Uh, there's a couple online that's getting a lot of flack because they got married in the metaverse and everybody's roasting them. They're like, oh, this is so stupid. Why did you get married? I think this is the future and I think we finally found a reason for the metaverse. I hope all weddings are in the metaverse. Yeah, I'm sick and tired of having to go somewhere because you feel like your relationship is a destination wedding. Your, your relationship's going to hell. I've got to travel for it. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of that shit. It would be so much better if I could just put on my VR goggles at home. In fact, I don't even have to put the... I can put them on and be like, I'm here, then put the headset on a dog, and then it just, like, runs around. And then at the wedding, Trevor's just, like, running around, and everyone's like, wow, he was so sociable. I mean, he was humping people's legs, but, man, he was, he was into it. You know? Why, like, weddings is, like, so much work. Is it, like, it should, the whole thing should be in the metaverse from now on. You go there, it costs nobody money. You can be anywhere you want to be, huh? As guests, we can also bring virtual gifts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Then you're like, ah, this gift is not real. Yeah, neither is your love. Don't worry about my gifts. Your shit will be over soon and then you'll forget about this toaster. You know what I'm saying? I just feel like it's, uh, it's good. We just do the whole thing. Everybody put on our headsets, we go to weddings, we have a good time, and then we're already at home. How much fun is that? Metaverse weddings for the win, baby. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America, it's The Daily Show. Here's the deal. Tonight, meet Lauren Boebert. Jordan Klepper talks vaccines. And Nicole Hannah-Jones. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with the breaking news from the moon, that pervert that keeps looking into my windows at night. For centuries, humans have thought that the moon is as barren and empty as Chris Cuomo's work schedule. But that might all be about to change. China's moon rover has spotted a mystery object on the horizon while working its way across a crater on the far side of the moon. In this photo, it's about 260 feet away, and you can see what looks like right angles on a square object. The rover is expected to spend the next two to three months trying to get closer. The cube-shaped object was described in Chinese as, quote, a mystery hut. Uh, no. Hell no. Anything called a mystery hut, you better stay away from. I mean, best case scenario, it's a pizza place that picks the toppings for you. But most likely, you're just gonna get molested. And by the way, what, what, was, that, what was that about? Did you hear that where they said it's gonna take two to three months to reach the mystery hut that's 260 feet away? Well, what did they send up there, a DoorDash driver? Oh, he's gotta complete deliveries on other planets first and then he'll be right there. Here's an idea, here's an idea. What if we leave the mystery hut alone. I mean, I'm just saying between a pandemic and climate change, maybe now's not a great time to risk opening up an ancient box that we found on the moon. I mean, chances are it's probably just gonna be a boulder or something, because let's be honest, the moon is boring. You know, it should be this incredible thing, but whenever we get news from space scientists, it always feels like we're hanging out with like a, like a toddler. I found a walk. Wow, well done, scientist. I found a bigger walk. Jesus Christ, well done, scientist. But let's move on from the least inhabited place to the most, New York City. The holidays are a great time of year here in New York. The store windows are decorated. 
the rockets are performing. And if you're really lucky, a beautiful snowfall will trap all of the dog poop and garbage on the street for three months, after which it'll thaw and fill the air with the sweet smells of spring. But apparently not every New Yorker has the holiday spirit because last night someone set fire to the 50-foot Christmas tree outside the Fox News studios. And it's not clear how this happened. I mean, it could be an accident, could be arson, could be Santifa. It's not clear. And unfortunately, we can't ask the tree because like all Fox employees, it had to sign an NDA. But for the network that invented the war on Christmas, this turned out to be the best gift that they could have asked for. I think it tells the bigger story. I mean, since this is, this city is so out of control. So out of control. Especially in midtown Manhattan. You, we, yes, the city we used to love. It goes to the larger issue of safety. And we have been talking for a very long time. This city has gone south when it comes to safety. We don't feel safe when we come to work in the morning. We don't safe when, feel safe when we go home at night. Think about it. Who, to Ainsley's earlier point, who sets a Christmas tree on fire? It's a, it's a and, tree that unites us that brings us together. It's about the Christmas spirit. It is about the holiday season. Uh, it's it, about Jesus. It's about Hanukkah. It is about everything that we stand for as a country. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. A Christmas tree represents a lot of things, but one thing it definitely does not represent is Hanukkah. I mean, if it did, that tree would have had to burn for eight days. Come on, people. I mean, that's a weird thing for anyone to say, but especially Fox News because these are the guys who spent 15 years insisting that we have to say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. And now all of a sudden, the Christmas tree is half Jewish. It's all about the holidays, all the holidays. And honestly, even calling this thing a tree is such a stretch. Because I don't know if you saw this, once the flames went out, it turns out that this thing was just like scaffolding covered in pine needles. I'm sorry, but that's not a tree. That's just a jungle gym with a body hair problem. But I will say this, I agree with Fox News hosts. They're totally right, people. The crime in New York has gotten out of control. The city is a war zone. Blood and death is on every corner. The rats have joined gangs. Everybody needs to leave so that my rent can go down and I can finally find some space on the subway, but mostly because it's not safe. And there's murdered rats. The poor rats have been murdered. Sorry, wait, they're murdering. Whatever brings down my rent, guys. That's what's happening in New York. All right, and finally, a story out of Finland, the country in a thruple with Norway and Sweden. Finland has one of the youngest prime ministers in the world, 36-year-old Sanna Marin, and that comes with all sorts of challenges. For instance, last weekend, officials tried to text Marin to let her know that she had been exposed to COVID and needed to isolate, but she didn't get the message right away because get this, she was out at a club until 4 a.m. Yeah, which if you ask me, is pretty baller. I mean, especially in Finland, because they only get like one hour of sunlight a day. That means she's probably gonna sleep through that, right? And people were angry. People were angry that she didn't have her phone with her, but I mean, it would have been worse if she'd gotten the message while she was at the club. Oh shit, I might have COVID. What? I can't hear you. Cup your hands over your mouth and scream directly into my face. But guys, I can also understand why she wouldn't be checking her messages because come on, how hard can it be to run Finland? The biggest debate in that country is deciding what temperature to set the saunas at. What's their stress? You know, this scandal actually just proves why America's right though, to only elect old people. They'll never have this issue. The only reason Joe Biden would be awake at 4 a.m. is to pee. That makes me feel safe. 
But let's move on to our top story. All year, Republicans in Congress have been acting out. Marjorie Taylor Greene compared mask mandates to the Holocaust. Paul Gosar chopped off AOC's head in an anime video. And Mitt Romney, well, he went through that sexy goth phase. And now, Colorado's Lauren Boebert is under fire for a little stand-up routine that she's been doing about Ilhan Omar. There has still been no condemnation from Republican leaders after GOP Congresswoman Lauren Boebert made an Islamophobic comment about one of her Democratic colleagues in a new video. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert making an Islamophobic suicide bomber joke about being in an elevator with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. I look to my left, and there she is, Ilhan Omar. And I said, well, she doesn't have a backpack, we should be fine. Suggesting she was concerned Omar would blow up the elevator. So we only had one floor to go, and I was like, uh, do I say it or not? And looked over, and I said, oh, look, the Jihad Squad decided to show up for work today. Wow. You know, for something that offensive, that was one of the most boring stories I've ever heard. Because you realize, basically, she was like, so I'm on an elevator with a brown person, and the whole time, I'm having racist thoughts. The end. Now, if you're familiar with Lauren Boebert, hearing that she made some Islamophobic jokes about a fellow congressperson, that won't come as too much of a surprise for you. Because Boebert, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, or Madison Cawthorn, or countless other Republicans, they're like uh, the crazy little spawn that Donald Trump gave birth to right before he left town. But if you don't know who Lauren Boebert is, well, you're about to find out in another installment of Fringe Watching. In less than a year, Lauren Boebert has made a name for herself as one of Congress's preeminent nutjobs. But before she could get to D.C., she had to win over the voters of her conservative Colorado district. And props to her, because she knew just how to do it. Republican Lauren Boebert pulled off a stunning upset by taking down five-term Congressman Scott Tipton. And her path to victory was straight out of the far-right playbook. In May, her restaurant refused to close down during the COVID-19 pandemic, even after a cease and desist order until her license was temporarily suspended. And we don't want to be restricted by these uh, arbitrary orders in place by our governor who thinks that he's a king. Lauren Boebert is the third uh, candidate this cycle uh, that we've seen on the Republican side uh, who has spoken approvingly uh, of QAnon, this conspiracy theory, who actually emerged on top uh, in her primary. Honestly, um, everything that I've heard of Q, I, I hope that I hope that this is real because it only means America is getting stronger and better mm -hmm. and people are returning to conservative values. Yeah, that's right. QAnon is a return to conservative values. I mean, we all remember Ronald Reagan's famous speech in Berlin. Mr. Gorbachev, Tom Hanks, co-star of Bosom Buddies, drinks baby blood. Powerful stuff, man. Powerful stuff. I remember that day. Now, to be fair to Bobert, that's what she was saying about QAnon before her Republican primary. Because you see, six days after she won her primary, she clarified that she is not a follower of QAnon and had been purposefully vague about it earlier. So she isn't necessarily insane, just willing to say anything to win the votes of insane people, which in a way is much worse. On the other hand though, there is a conspiracy theory that Bobert has fully embraced. And this she's embraced with all her heart. And that is that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald J. Trump. And on January 6th, 
she was busy riling up her fellow believers. One of Congress's newest faces is already facing calls for her resignation just a few days into her term. I have constituents outside this building right now. Less than a half hour before the Capitol came under siege. They know that this election is not right. One of the newest Republican House members, 34-year-old Lauren Boebert of Colorado, was on the House floor fanning the flames of the insurrection. I will not allow the people to be ignored. She spent the morning tweeting, today is 1776 and promising to fight with everything I have to ensure the fairness of the election. During the insurrection, she used her Twitter account to announce to the public and thereby any insurrectionist who might look that Speaker Pelosi had been removed from chambers. Okay, okay, okay. I know that sounds bad, but let's not jump to conclusions. Like maybe she wasn't trying to say, Nancy Pelosi is getting away, go get her. You know, maybe it was more like, oh great, Nancy Pelosi got away, you blew it, dipshits. After the riots, Bobert released a statement denouncing the violence. But I mean, she was the one telling everyone it was 1776, which only means one thing. I like, I'm not an expert in American history, but I'm pretty sure that the colonists didn't overthrow Britain with a change.org petition. Those dudes were killing each other in funny wigs. You know how violent you have to be to put on a funny wig and then stab somebody? That's next level violence. But Boba's true passion isn't QAnon or overthrowing the government or even casual Islamophobia. No, what really gets her going is the Second Amendment. And I know you're thinking, yeah, there's a lot of people who like guns. No, 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 no. I'm telling you now that Lauren Boebert, she makes all of them look like Gandhi. This is Lauren Boebert. She's a congresswoman from Colorado. She was at a, a hearing and she, her, her background on her Zoom is a whole bunch of guns. Republican Congresswoman Lauren Boebert decided to copy one of her Republican colleagues and she posted a photo of herself with her children, you know, some of them rather young here, holding what appear to be semi-automatic rifles in front of their Christmas tree. On the day she was sworn in, she released this flashy video. declaring she'll be bringing her 9-millimeter Glock to the halls of Congress and streets of D.C. It's our job in Congress to defend your rights, including your Second Amendment, and that's exactly what I'm here to do. Boebert has attracted national attention for a while. She owns Shooter's Grill in her hometown of Rifle, Colorado, a gun-themed restaurant where she encourages her employees to be armed. So I'm guessing you haven't had any sort of altercations or any attempted robberies or anything like that since the girls started packing heat? No, we have had no altercations like that, nothing physical, and no one has certainly tried to rob us, unless you count our salt shakers. Those get taken often. <laughs> That's right. Lauren Bobert owns a restaurant where all the waitresses are strapped which also makes it the only restaurant in America where nobody asks to split the check five ways. No, I'll just pay, thank you. And look, I don't know if I wanna eat at a restaurant where everybody's armed. I mean, it's a fun gimmick, but you realize the second someone drops a plate, that place is turning into a Tarantino movie. I mean, it's still a restaurant, so you can't have bare feet, but otherwise, it's a Tarantino movie. But clearly, this person has an unhealthy fixation with guns. Forget Congress, she's not qualified to serve as an interior decorator. You know what? This bed needs a pile of guns. And let's zhuzh up this bathroom with another pile of guns. And you know what? Instead of a kitchen, just guns. But that's Bobert. She's probably the first person ever to try and register an emotional support Glock. And it really makes me wonder why. Like, why is the Second Amendment the only amendment that politicians are obsessed with? I mean, like, obsessed with. Like, just once, I want to see a politician who's all about the Third Amendment. 
You know, just stomping through a campaign commercial like, send me to Washington and I'll make sure a soldier in peacetime is never cornered in your house. Use Airbnb and let me be. Bah. But look, I'm sure Bobit is as safe and careful as possible when she's hanging AR-15s on the Christmas tree, or at least she's more careful with that than she is with campaign finance laws. In August, news broke that Boebert did not disclose almost a half million dollars her husband made in the energy industry. Ethics and campaign finance laws require candidates and members of Congress to disclose how immediate family members make money so voters know about potential conflicts of interest. Now we have learned that Boebert paid rent and utility bills for her restaurant with campaign funds, which is very much in violation of federal campaign finance laws, the new filings of the Federal Election Commission show. And this is not the first time Boebert has misused campaign funds. In February, the Denver Post reported Boebert paid herself more than $22,000 in mileage reimbursements for her campaign account last year. To justify those reimbursements, Boebert would have had to drive, get this, 38,712 miles while campaigning, despite having no publicly advertised campaign events in March, April, July, and only one in May. After questions were raised, Boebert amended her filing, subtracting 7,000 miles from her claim. So she miscalculates it by 7,000 miles? The only other time that happens is after you make a wrong turn using Google Maps. Recalculating, new distance, 7,000 miles. You will arrive at your destination in the year 2183. Cause that's, that's a lot of shady campaign finance stuff after just one campaign, one. But I mean, I guess this is the swagger of someone who owns that many guns. I mean, the FEC probably had a Zoom meeting with her and then they saw her background. What were they gonna say? Hey man, what's a few thousand miles? Let's, let's just be cool. Let's be cool, lady. Yeah, lug me out, lug me out. So that's Lauren Bobert, law-breaking conspiracy theorist, gun enthusiast, and insurrectionist. In other words, if you see her get on an elevator, maybe you should take the stairs. All right, when we come back, Jordan Klepper goes head-to-head -head with anti-vaxxers. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. As vaccine mandates are spreading around the country, anti-vaccine protests are too, including in some areas you might not expect. We sent Jordan Klepper to investigate for another episode of Jordan Klepper, Fingers the Pulse. The discussion around vaccines and mandates tends to pit red state versus blue. But I had heard there was vaccine hesitancy and misinformation in the elitist of the elite blue corners of the US. So I headed to a protest in sunny Southern California. I came to California curious if the anti-vax mandate crowd would talk to me. Then I realized I brought a camera and we're in Southern California. I think I'll be fine. Is this an anti-vaccination? It is not an anti-vax, so don't go there. Don't go there. Please don't. Are you vaccinated? I am not. So you're anti-vax. I do not want to get the vaccination for COVID. What do you support? Um, people's freedom of choice. Don't you benefit from a society that supports that by getting vaccinated? You shouldn't be able to force that stuff on people. It's a step one, then it'll be step two. What's step, step three. two? Uh, uh, who knows? I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist here. But so isn't we have step one with polio? They didn't really mandate that. The people were docile back in the in the industrious age. That they were more than willing to take these shots. Polio is mandated for students going to school. Polio has to be because we know what it's done. Don't we know what COVID's done? Uh, I mean, there's 750,000 people who have a pretty good idea. Dig it. Do you trust the vaccine whatsoever? Zero, like zero percent. And because I know what the, the, end, the end goal is. What's the end goal? Bill Gates said in the 2015, 
if we can get all these health things, vaccination, we can reduce the population by 10 to 15%. What's 15% of 7 billion? That's a billion people. The Less vaccine is all about depopulation. They've said that. So this is just Bill Gates' pet project to depopulate no, the globe. He's, he's probably a puppet of the people above him. Which are who? No, no clue. It's a big claim to say there is a giant plan to kill half the population and not have a Thanos to point to. So why does the conversation on this SoCal boardwalk sound like a Shoney's in Lancaster, PA? I talked to Derek Barris, who's been tracking this coastal elite anti-vax movement for years. You've had a long anti-vaccine uh, sentiment here. Specifically in 2017, there was a measles outbreak right over there in Brentwood in Santa Monica, where an eradicated disease in America sprung up again. This idea of bodily sovereignty has really come about since the pandemic, but that has been taught for decades inside of yoga studios in America. Bodily sovereignty sounds a lot like what I told my parents I was doing freshman year of high school. You have pretty liberal parents then. Yeah, <laughs> this is my body, I can do what I want with it as often as I want to do wherever I want in the living room. You're still here. People hear about anti-vax and they think MAGA world, but now we're seeing this wellness, which we see maybe more to the left. The Center for Countering Digital Hate identified 12 practitioners in the wellness space that were responsible for something like 70% of the vaccine disinformation on social media. Turns out ignoring the advice of the medical experts and sacrificing the health of the community at large can actually be quite profitable for the wellness business. Everyone knows about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine at this moment. The idea that that could help. You have uh, meditations that are sold that are supposed to ward off COVID. You also have different breathing techniques. Some practitioners, including here in Los Angeles, teach breathing workshops because COVID is a respiratory illness. And so their belief is, well, if you're breathing properly, it won't actually affect you. You can breathe your way out of COVID. Absolutely. That's that is, a class you can pay for. Yes, here. that is absolutely a class you could pay for. So like how many smoothies does one have to ingest to get to the point where they can completely disregard the health of the community they live in. In Los Angeles, one, mm -hmm. uh, because they're usually $25. I never knew there was that many parts of honey to ingest. <laughs> and the honey is blessed by a shaman from Tibet, so you're paying for that as well, you have to remember that. I wanted to talk to these people, so I set up outside of the bougiest health food market in Venice Beach. And I also had a hankering for an activated charcoal bone broth rose hip smoothie cure-all. Are you vaccinated? Uh, maybe. No, <laughs> I'm not. You're not? No. Are you fearful of catching COVID? No. No? I, I think that it's more about the lifestyle versus like vaccinated, not vaccinated. Like, what is the lifestyle? Like being healthy, like taking care of yourself, like your mind, your body. If you live a lifestyle of wellness, then your body should be able to handle COVID. So what do you recommend for basic public health? Eating healthy. Um, boosting your immunity system and don't watch the news because it's just brainwashing you with fear and the fear is lowering your frequency. I um, only eat fish and only certain kind of fish. Like for example, I don't eat tuna and I actually found that out when I was trying to feed tuna to my cat and she shook her head and walked off. Do you often take medical advice from a cat? In general from nature. From nature. What do you think of the COVID vaccine? I don't think it's a vaccine. I think it's snapping the DNA in half. Where did you hear this? A Siamese cat? You recommend for public health people meditating? Of course. People working out in groups? Definitely. Eating healthy? Definitely. COVID vaccine? No. No. A coffee enema? Possibly. Okay, maybe on the coffee enema, definite hard no on the COVID vaccine? No. 
I'm not a anti-vaxxer per se. I'm a staunch anti-mandate person. Can I ask, uh, are you both vaccinated? Sorry, we I don't, don't want to put uh, on, on the status. On, no. I, I just, if you don't want to share your vaccine status, that's okay. I'm vaccinated and look how I look. Don't judge me. I know everybody in LA is judging people. I'm an LA five, a New York six and a, a DC 12. I can tell. Cold, but fair. Now what say you, dude? I want to talk about wellness and public health. And trust me, we'll get to your script later. Can I ask you, are you vaccinated? I am. Do you find that most people in Los Angeles that you encounter are vaccinated? Like I'm kind of a New Yorker. Yeah. And there there's a sense of like civic duty. There isn't so much of that here, to be totally honest. It's more like, well, I had to get vaccinated because I'm paying a trip to Tulum. So if more Americans were dangled a trip to Tulum, we might get that vaccination rate up in the 90s? Maybe so, yeah. <laughs> no matter what part of the anti-vax world they come from, there's one comparison they just can't resist making. I think what's interesting, especially coming from Germany, uh, I think history is repeating itself right now. What, what are you saying? That what's the vaccine mandates and everything. It's like it's turning into a police state. And you're equating it to World War II era Germany. Yes. Where's your papers? Where are your papers? It's very similar to the Hitler times. But like Jewish people are fleeing Poland because they can't get into gyms? It's not funny. But is that comparison though? You oh. just didn't get the point, sorry. I'm good, bye. <laughs> Maybe historical dramas aren't big in LA, but certainly there is commercial viability in saving humanity, right? We're in LA. Maybe there's an elevator pitch here, right? So. Zoom in on a country at war with itself, and then a magical cure comes along that helps people take care of the rest of the community by making a choice to help other people. Would you buy that ticket? No. No? Okay. Thank you so much for that, Jordan. All right, when we come back, Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project will be joining us on the show, so stay tuned. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is the Pulitzer Award-winning journalist and creator of the landmark 1619 Project, Nicole Hannah-Jones. She's here to talk about her new book on America's legacy of slavery and its impact on society today. Nicole Hannah-Jones, welcome back to The Daily Show. Thank you so much for having me back. Um, a lot has happened in your life since the last time we spoke, you know, uh, you've won a Pulitzer Prize um, and you have also gone on to become one of, I would say, the most polarizing lightning rods in the country because of this work. The 1619 Project, which has become, for many conservatives, the tool that they use to scare people into voting for them or changing how the things are taught in school. And for many liberals has become the tool that people say needs to be used to talk about what's happening in society today. How do you feel about how people have received the project? Uh, I, I think how the project has been received has uh, exceeded everything I could have imagined in ways good and bad. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have expected two years later that uh, so many Americans would be using 1619 as part of the national lexicon, um, that it would be embraced really by uh, everyone, you know, across the spectrum of race and, and class uh, region. But I also wouldn't have expected that the teaching of the project would be banned in Georgia and Florida and Texas and, and a growing number of states or that it would become part of uh, kind of a, a political wedge issue for right. Republicans. So uh, it's all been unpredictable, I think. Do you, do you think in, in the writing of this, because I know that this is... Um essentially an updated version of the project. You know, the new, a new origin story, the 1619 Project, has, you know, a few essays in it that have, that have been updated, or rather have been included now. One that's definitely gonna, you know, 
stir emotions up again is gonna be the conversation in and around reparations that you argue for. When you think of reparations, two parts maybe. Why do you think reparations is important? And secondly, what do you think reparations should be? Yeah, so I think that reparations is important because if we understand the system of slavery and the system of of what uh, you would call in South Africa racial apartheid, what we call here very benignly Jim Crow, fundamentally these were systems of economic exploitation. We like to in America think of them as racist systems, but the racism is what justified the exploitation and Mm -hmm. the the extraction of wealth from black Americans. So here we are 60 years out of the civil rights movement and the wealth gap between black and white Americans has remained unchanged. So the material disadvantage that slavery and Jim Crow was created uh, to produce amongst black Americans still exists. And that's why I think reparations is necessary, not just for atonement, but to actually uh, alleviate the primary suffering of Black Americans, which is lack of wealth, which is a direct um, lineage and a direct link to the systems of slavery and then the 100 years of apartheid that followed. And uh, I think, you know, how it would work, it has to be cash payments. I think we have to really look at the system of slavery was holistic. The system of anti-Blackness was holistic. It affected us through policy. It affected us through income, through wealth, through education, through housing. So the fixes have to be holistic as well. But something that we could do immediately that doesn't take you know, tens, of, you know, tens of years, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years to fix is a wealth transfer. That, that you can fix uh, overnight. A lot of Americans hear that and then they go, oh, so I have to pay for slavery that I didn't do and I wasn't physically a part of. So when you say wealth transfer, where is that actual wealth coming from? Yes, one, it's it's coming from the federal government. So we all pay tax dollars uh, to pay for a whole bunch of things that I don't agree with. I could I could list many things that my taxes <laughs> go to that I didn't personally cause. I haven't caused a single war in this country, and yet I've had to pay taxes to pay for those wars. So I think we as Americans have to understand reparations is not being paid by white people. It's being paid by the federal government, whom we all pay into. It's a collective debt uh, that we collectively pay. And, you know, when I hear that argument, we're not even talking about reparations for slavery. We're talking about reparations for that 100 years where black people out of slavery were also denied through federal policy, housing policy, education policy, the ability uh, to gain wealth. That's my father's generation. We have living Americans right now who were kept from uh, going to the schools they wanted to, from being able to go to college, from being able to move into neighborhoods, from being able to have federally insured loans, from being able to use the GI Bill. Uh, You can make a case of reparations without even having to go to slavery. Let's talk a little bit about the schools. You know, critical race theory has now been this catch-all term that is used all over America to argue for or against certain ideas. One of the strangest things I've noticed is that half of the people arguing against critical race theory have no clue what critical race theory is for, and then some of the people arguing for it also don't have an idea what it's for. What do you think is the biggest part of the 1619 Project that is misunderstood? And and so, if a parent is somewhere in the country saying, I've heard about this project, you wanna teach white people that they're bad, that's what the 1619 Project, it's, it's saying that America is just bad. How would you respond to somebody who is willing, let's say, willing to actually hear your argument? What would you say to them that they misunderstand? So one, I, I just think we should we should acknowledge that the whole critical race theory controversy is a propaganda campaign, and it's been extremely effective because a year ago, hardly anyone was talking about critical race theory, and certainly most parents had never heard of the term. Um, 
1619 Project is not critical race theory, though certainly it's been influenced by critical race theory, which simply is saying 60 years after the civil rights movement, when we've ended legal discrimination, why are Black Americans still at disadvantage in every uh, aspect of American life? Mm -hmm. And it's actually antithetical to the belief that individual white people are responsible. It's actually saying it doesn't matter if individual white people are racist or not. The system was constructed on anti-Blackness, and so it functions on its own. I don't actually think that's controversial. So what I would say to the person who is open-minded uh, if you want to know what's in the 1619 Project, try reading it. Let's start with that. <laughs> you know, everyone uh, has formed these opinions about a project, and, and it becomes very clear early in the conversation that they actually haven't read it. Right. My main thing is I just ask people to read it and judge for themselves. You know, Nicole, I, I love that you your idea is the one thing that is <laughs> antithetical to everything that's in society now. Please... Um, inform your opinion before you have it is essentially what you, people don't exactly. do that anymore. You realize that, right? Uh, so yeah, good luck to you with having people have opinions <laughs> on a book that they've actually read. And if the people do actually yes. read it, I think uh, they will have some really interesting opinions either way. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much Thank for joining you. me on the show. The 1619 Project, a new origin story is available wherever books are sold. We're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, please consider supporting Vibrant Emotional Health. They're a nonprofit dedicated to helping people achieve emotional well-being and to giving them the support and the skills that they need to survive. So if you want to support them in their work, especially during the stressful holiday season, then please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you find a mystery box on the moon, open it, but with your eyes closed. That way it's safe. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.